weakness in our self justification. Well, again, welcome and thank you for getting out today to join us for worship here in God's and house. Meet us at the point of our you own are special here. If you're today. a first time guest with and us, a special welcoming, redeeming word. We do have an information center out in the lobby, in and that will be staffed after worship. We invite you to stop by there. We have a gift for you uh, for saying reconciling thank you for broken relationships. Here's Reaching a simple fact that I'm sure you've already noticed. Communication card that looks like Sin this. This is always for all of us, and, uh, divides people. It never, presence with ever us today and, unites us. And, uh, you can drop it in the Sin offering separates plate later us from God. It separates us from one another. On it separates us even from concerns, our best or other information self. you may want to share with our staff. So I feel sorry for people who grew that. up in homes. Well, we're down to the last couple of where weeks there were all kinds of injuries calling about on. Maybe face. some of you can relate to And we've been this. talking about what it Perhaps takes there was for us to have a clear or conscience. Or After all, the Apostle Paul encourages his younger co-worker in the faith, or even Timothy, a lack of love. These words, issues that may have never been resolved in your home. Is that all believers not as if certain things happened and there was forgiveness from asked for heart, granted a over the years. You just kind of shoved all those hurtful faith. things. Down to have a clear conscience that before God is okay. an incredible achievement. When it wasn't. So we've been talking about how we can Today deal with some of the big issues about reconciling life, broken relationships. Shame and guilt but before and we do, I want to read a very brief part of the Sermon on the Mount that about Jesus last week. Spoke Today we're going to be looking at another gospel, very fifth chapter, common issue for most of us, and that is conflict so if you're presenting and broken a sacrifice at the altar wherever the people are together, sooner or later, you suddenly be remember that the someone has something is how against to restore you. Those Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go the Bible and reconcile Matthew, to that uh, chapter 18 gives us some guidelines on dealing with how to resolve to disputes and healing relationships. Jesus is saying, so even if you bring we'll get a major sacrifice, a like a sheep, but let's bow in a moment of prayer. Or you know, even a small sacrifice, and the priest is about to make that Gracious sacrifice. Gracious God, open your word to us again today temple, so that we may see ourselves. But you remember that you're out of sorts with somebody. Hear a word of encouragement. Leave the gift there. Leave the sacrifice there. Strengthen our and faith go opening all of our and senses. meet with that person and be reconciled and then come back and worship. Now imagine for a moment what Jesus is saying. He is saying that reconciliation precedes worship. And if, that, if we want to worship God in God's presence and for that matter in God's church, what we need to do is understand that some human relationships may get in the way of that. And they need to be taken care of as best we can take care of them. And then we can come to church and sing the praises of our God. The Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 24, verse 16, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and all people. Before God is the easy part. We know that we can always come to God and we can confess our sin and God's not going to tell anybody and he knows all about us anyway. But to go to other people? Now we're talking real people that we have history with. We're talking sometimes self-justification. I didn't really do that. I didn't mean to do that. It's all very difficult when we be actually have to take that reconciliation to the people we know and love. Well, where do we even begin? There are a lot of circumstances that people like us get ourselves into that have never been reconciled. Like the father who um, had a child in his college days. And that child is growing up in another city. His wife doesn't know, his current wife, his children don't know. And he wants to have a life that's in a right relationship to God. 
but he doesn't know what to do about this previous situation. Or Ted, who marries Anne, and Anne has an affair that she carries on during the early years of their marriage. She feels guilty, so she breaks it off. She tells the other person, Frank, that she's going to tell her husband, but Frank is very nervous and he's upset because he and Ted are friends. What do they do? Or the wife who has to confess to her husband that their third child is not his. She wants a clear conscience before God, so what does she do? Wasn't it the poet Sir Walter Scott who said, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Today we're talking about some of those tangled webs. Now I know this message today in some ways may raise more questions than I can answer. And by the time I'm finished, you may want to say, well, what about this and what about that? And you're going to have some legitimate questions that I'm not able to answer. But my goal is trying to offer us today principles that apply scripture to whatever particular situation you may find yourself in. In Matthew's Gospel, again, chapter 18, Jesus gives us some guidance as to how to resolve disputes. And here's what he says. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you, may, you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. And then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. You see, there are steps to reconciliation and some principles that we can apply to life even though life at times is messy. The first principle is that sins of the heart should be confessed to God alone. It would be a terrible world if we all said what we thought about each other and held nothing back, wouldn't it? Just blurt out whatever comes to your mind. Can you imagine the fiasco and the pain that we would cause? Sometimes our attitude toward another person gets poisoned for whatever reason, and instead of saying whatever we think to someone's face, we need to confess that attitude to God, and then it needs to be left with God. We're not free to say everything that comes into our mind. Jesus Christ is faithful to forgive us all of our sins, but it's not okay to destroy someone else in order to make ourselves feel better. Secondly, a sin or an offense against another person should be confessed to that person. Now, because the marriage relationship is the, one of the most sensitive relationships we have on earth, let me talk about that first. If a person, for example, commits adultery, should they confess it to their spouse? Does the man who fathered a child need to eventually sit down with his wife and say, hey, there's something that I need to tell you so that my conscience is clear of this offense? Private sins that have ruptured the marriage relationship need to be dealt with. Are there some situations that need to be dealt with openly? Yes. But there are also times when we should not confess them publicly. All truth doesn't need to be spoken, especially if it's going to do more damage to the people around us. There are times when a relationship is already so frayed, so tenuous, so falling apart that it may be best to confess the offense to someone else, to a pastor, to a counselor, because you may not have the skills to deal with the situation on your own or the collateral damage that results. 
Timing is also important. Sometimes people want to confess something and get it off their chest so they can have a clear conscience when they die. Well, thank you very much. How wonderful of you to have a clear conscience and in the meantime, dump your stuff all over all of your family and friends who have to process it for the rest of their life. See, some things just need to be confessed when it happens so everyone involved has time to deal with it. Other things need the privacy of a counselor's office. Timing is important. Some relationships are fragile. Others are strong enough to deal with the tough issues, but dealing with them at the right time and in the right way is critical. The third principle is that the confession should be as broad as the offense. You know that it's not necessary for everybody to know about every offense, but the only people who have been affected, but only the people who have been affected by the hurt. But what we need to do is to exercise some caution and some wisdom here. In the case of the unrepentant person, the Bible says that it needs to be confessed before the whole congregation. The fact that, generally speaking, most issues need to stay in the arena in which the offense happens. Fourth, when appropriate, others should be present. There are times when right from the beginning, somebody else needs to be present during that time of confession. Maybe it's a safety issue. Maybe it's another person to give perspective, but there are times when it shouldn't go um, into a, when we shouldn't go into a situation alone. You remember Jesus said that if you go to a person individually and you can't be reconciled, bring someone else with you. Next, confession should reflect the seriousness of the offense. And what I'd like to do is to give you uh, five different ways that we can say that I'm sorry uh, when, uh, when words are not enough. And sometimes all five ways are necessary to ask for complete forgiveness. One, a simple I'm sorry works in a lot of situations. And that usually does if, if it's been a minor thing. I'm sorry I spilled coffee on your coat. I really didn't mean to, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry, dear, that I forgot to carry out the garbage. I'm sorry I didn't get home when I said I was going to get home. In most of the day-to-day -day interactions between us, it's enough to say a simple I'm sorry. But oftentimes it's not. I'm thinking now of a, of a couple where the man took the, the, their entire life savings and he invested it in a get-rich-quick scheme on the internet and they lost all of their retirement. He said, I'm sorry, I messed up. Let's just move on and pretend this was no big deal. In those cases, sorry's not enough. It was a big deal. Which leads me into the second point, I was wrong, I accept responsibility, this is no minor matter. And when we say I was wrong, we should not add, okay, I was wrong, but look what you did. It's not the way we say I was wrong. Take your responsibility seriously so that even if you think that you're only 30% responsible, you look at that 30% as if it's 100%. And we take responsibility for our part. And if the other person doesn't take any responsibility, then you understand that that's between them and God. You know that there are some people you just can't reconcile with? Just simply accept, accept the fact that some people are toxic, some people are so messed up, some people's reality is so different from yours that there is no way possible for you to do anything except deal with your part of the problem and move on. Don't expect something back. The point is, what's important is that we do all that's possible for us to have a clear conscience before God and before other people, 
and we only can control what we have responsibility for. Now, there's something that's critical. When we have harmed someone, what that person wants to know is that, if we, is that we understand the extent of, of their pain. You see, that's why I'm saying I'm sorry is not enough sometimes, because after all, if you've done something to ruin your marriage, for you to just simply say, I'm sorry, is not enough. I mean, you're sorry, thank you, but do you understand the pain you've caused in that relationship? It's often good for us to articulate the pain and say, I know that my actions did this because the person whose forgiveness we are seeking needs to know that we understand the depth of that pain. You know, where sin is thought of superficially, it's usually dealt with superficially. And sometimes sin is not at all superficial. Actually, it never is. But there are some instances in which it is absolutely huge. So to say I was wrong may be very important as we get to the depths of the reconciliation process. And then three, ask the question, how do I make it right? Now, there are some things that we can't make right, but there are other things that we can, and one of those things we call restitution. There's a great little story in Luke's Gospel, the 19th chapter. You may remember it. It's an interesting story about a man by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a small man who one day climbed a sycamore tree so that he could see Jesus going by, and Jesus arbitrarily says to him, Hey, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I'm coming to your house for lunch. Now, remember, Zacchaeus is a tax collector, and tax collectors didn't have a very good reputation. And so Jesus is there, and Zacchaeus evidently comes to believe in Jesus during that lunch, and immediately he feels the need to make things right. And he says, half of my goods I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to pay them back fourfold. Do you know what the words of Jesus were in response? Jesus says, today, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house. You've been converted because of the fact that you understand the principle of restitution. Now, we don't always have to pay back four or five times, but whenever possible, repayment should be made. Let me give you a story. Jim is a man who loves God. He attends church, but one day he's injured in a hunting accident. And so he sits down and fills out a form for a workman's comp. And he says that it happened on the job. Why not? You get a check every month. You get paid for a long time. Workman's comp. But his pastor found out, and he said to him, Jim, you know that that's wrong. You have to deal with this, buddy. Jim said, do you think I'm crazy if I were going to go to workman's comp now and explain to them what I did? I'd be put in jail, and I'm not going to jail. What should he do? He attends church. He wants to sing the songs of faith. He wants to worship God, but there it is. So how is he able to worship getting a fraudulent check every month because he lied and defrauded workman's comp? Now, fourth, we can say, I want to change. Repentance means turning around, about face, moving in a new direction, but we've got to want to change. And then five, we need to ask, can you forgive me? Can you find it in your heart to forgive what I've done? Whenever possible, the person whom we've offended, we need to go to that person that we've hurt and be able to say, can you find it in your heart to forgive me? And hopefully we will hear, yes, 
I forgive you. That's important in relationships. Now, maybe they won't ever say that they forgive us. Maybe they'll say, no, I can't. The hurt's too deep or I need more time. Or they may be one of those toxic people that's never going to offer forgiveness in return. But what we are seeking is the forgiveness that should be extended to us, hopefully, uh, if we were to ask for it. Here's another real-life situation. A woman and her husband have three children. He runs off and gets married to the woman of his dreams. So he comes to his ex-wife one day and he says, well, why can't we just be friends? I mean, we can go out together after the kids uh, play on Thursday night and I know that I'm going to be with my new wife, but I just want us to be friends. I just want to enjoy your company. Let the past be the past. And he acts as if nothing's happened. He was never asking for any asking for forgiveness, never a hint that he did something wrong, never a notion that he offended his wife or betrayed their marriage or destroyed the relationship of their family. Let's just pretend everything's okay. Let the past be the past. What I'd like to do now is to offer just a couple of bottom line comments as we apply this whole issue of confession to our own lives. One, asking forgiveness begins with receiving forgiveness. Some of us here today may not know um, that we have already been forgiven by God. We say, well, I've confessed my sin. Well, that's great, and we need to do that. But along with that, we also need to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. And confession takes care of past sins, but it is in living a rela- in a relationship with Jesus that we continue to be the conduit of grace and forgiveness in our life and in the lives of the people around us. And that can help us to live above the sin. It's wonderful to know that our God is a redeeming God, the one who knows all about us and all the details of our life, but he invites us to live in fellowship with him. And then as we get to know one another, we can exercise the same grace that we've been shown in Jesus Christ to the other people in our life. I don't care who you are, you and I need somebody to forgive us. And thank God that in Jesus Christ, he sent someone to do just that. In Christ, we are cleansed from our sins. And if you've never received Jesus Christ as your savior, that's the beginning point. And then we can talk about beginning to mend other relationships in our life. Secondly, we need to reconcile, we will reconcile the broken relationships in our life when our desire to be right with God is greater than our pride and reputation. When the hand of God is really on us and we we will reconcile when our desire to be right with God is the predominant thing in our life. And that's the stuff of revival. You know, in the early 1970s, there was a small town in Canada, in Western Canada, uh, that that where a revival uh, of God's spirit broke out and it swept across Western Canada. And the way in which that revival caught the attention of the world was all the people that were going around making things right in their life. People were going back to stores and making things right with a store that they had either stolen from or defrauded. They were going to their neighbors. They were going to people at work. They got serious about confessing their wrongdoings and setting things right in their life. Something was happening in that town because people were desperate to be right with God. You see, God blesses people who reconcile. You know, Matthew 18 says, where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. What does Jesus mean by that? 
He's not talking about a prayer meeting. He's talking about reconciliation because that's the final way that God humbles us. It takes a lot of humility to go to a person with whom we have a problem and say, will you forgive me? I need to confess my sin to you. Let me tell you the story of one man who looked uh, to be a strong Christian. He, he taught Sunday school. He was in the leadership of his church. Earlier in his life, he had gone back to school and graduated with a master's degree. But in one class, he had cheated on a term paper. And his guilt was getting the best of him. At the time, it didn't seem like that big of a deal, but he said that he remembered when he walked across the stage to receive his diploma, his feet kind of felt like heavy as lead. He received the diploma, but it was 25 years later that the Holy Spirit was working on him, and he began to feel the Holy Spirit saying to him, Henry, you've got some wrongdoing in your heart. There's something that you need to make right. So he went back to the university, and he confessed to the dean what what had happened, And he told them that he was even willing for them to take the degree away from him because most of all, he wanted to be right with God. And that was more powerful in him than his humiliation. Sometimes we have to risk it all, our reputation, everything in order to have radical transformation. Sometimes we need to say, for the good of my conscience, for the good of my spiritual life, so that God can bless my life, I need to make some things right in my past, no matter what it costs. Some of us are here today, and maybe you have some things in your life that you need to make right, and you're just not sure exactly how to do that. I would encourage you this morning to seek counsel from someone you respect and trust who's wise enough to walk with you through that. But We all need a conscience that's free from offense, free from sin, free from wrongdoing before God and other people. We can't straighten out all the issues in our life, but we can straighten them out to the best of our ability in order to be free. Remember our theme verse for this series? The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. So may it be so in each of us. Let's pray. God, we seek your help this morning because in this room we know that there are people who are dealing with you right now and there are all kinds of issues that are coming to our heart and mind to deal with. So we ask that whatever the cost may be, we may humble ourselves, we may be broken in your presence and be willing to say, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. God, do it. Bring your convicting power to all of our lives so that all who have outstanding issues will be able to find your peace. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.